Pod Clubhouse. This is Caroline with Daily Review. This is Mike from Pop Culture Review. This is Without a Paddle, the Shit's Creek podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode 608, The Presidential Suite. It was written by Davis West Reed, who's written the last, this is like his fourth episode in a row, and directed by Andrew Cividino, who's also directed several episodes this season. How you doing, Caroline? This one was heavy for me. This may be the most serious Shit's Creek episode I think I can remember or think of. Two-thirds of it was very lighthearted and a lot of fun, and then one-third of it just kind of ripped my heart out, threw it on the floor, and just fucking trampled on it. Oh really, God. really, really, uh, really kicked in the feels at the end of the episode tonight. Ouch. Before we get into this episode, let's talk a little bit about the Schitt's Creek pop-up that's going on in Sharon Springs, New York. We've brought this up before in previous episodes, but we have some first-hand knowledge. The pop-up was is scheduled to end at the end of February. Uh, I am a resident of New York. Caroline is a resident of Texas, but we were able to, on the fly, put together a trip to Rose Apothecary, the pop-up store in Sharon Springs, New York which is normally Beekman 1802 Mercantile. And we got to go around Sharon Springs. We spent the whole day there. We interviewed fans. We interviewed uh, some workers inside Rose Apothecary. We interviewed some other town folk of Sharon Springs that are also in the Schitt's Creek spirit. What was your takeaway from the day? Uh, uh, I was going to call you Alexis. What was your takeaway from the day, Caroline? The spirit of the town really is in Sharon Springs. The spirit of Schitt's Creek and the idea that the way that the Roses have made it through this time of losing their money and finding their family really came through the help of their neighbors and people really reaching out a hand and supporting them in all different ways. That is really what I felt in Sharon Springs when we heard the different shopkeeper stories and we listened to what the fans enjoyed. It was all about being kind, being supportive, lending a hand when you can. And that's how pretty much everyone grew their businesses in the town. It was fascinating and really heartwarming. It's the kind of place you absolutely want to go back and visit again. Yeah, the idea of helping your neighbor, you'll hear, uh, dear listeners, when published this in probably the within the next week, hopefully, you'll hear the story of some workers inside Beekman 1802 talk about the connected web of people helping people all in a time of need and how all of their businesses prospered and were able to grow because of that inter-helping. The idea of helping your neighbor, being kind to your neighbor, is very pervasive in Sharon Springs. And I, I agree with you, very much reminded me of the family vibe that we see every week on Schitt's Creek. I think it's something that we might even overlook when we do these reviews is how much Moira was accepted onto city council with open arms with Ronnie and Bob and Roland and how how many times have Roland and Jocelyn offered up their home, their car, clothes when they were doing the used car episode. Tonight. Um, you know, tonight there's just we, so many times. In tonight's episode, we learned about what they're sacrificing in order to help pay for the motel. For you know so the shits for the shits and the roses to have this new venture together, you know it's a lot. So yeah, neighbors helping neighbors and helping grow businesses, it's amazing. We wanted to extend our adventures out to you guys in the form of a contest. We have brought home many Rose Apothecary and Rosebud Motel treats for you guys. We are going to add a little catchphrase and or word of the week inside our episodes. You will have to write that down. Go ahead and collect them up to the end of the season and then go ahead and DM us all of your 
secret words and we will enter you in the contest and we will pull many winners because we have brought back a ton of different treats. So beginning with tonight's episode, there are seven episodes left in the season each week. Uh, somewhere placed, it's not, you can't just zoom to the end. Somewhere within the podcast, we will have a word of the week or a phrase of the week. Collect it and then DM us all at once at the end of the season. Don't worry, we'll do weekly reminders in the podcast and on our social media posts. We have some fantastic prizes and gifts that we brought home from not only Beekman 1802 Mercantile, but also from McGillicuddy's Naturals, which is a store that is uh, right next door, makes homemade natural goat soap and a bunch of other naturally crafted merchandise. There are oils, there are candles, bars, candles. There were all kinds of things, uh, linen sprays, but specifically they had branded them Rosebud Motel. So we have an, a whole theme Schitt's Creek booty for you guys to win. We're excited to be able to share that with you and give you a little bit of Sharon Springs, a little bit of Schitt's Creek in your own home. Lucky seven episodes left, and we hope all of you are lucky in winning the contest. There will be pictures on our website and in our social media posts, so you can see what are up for grabs here to be able to win. Right. We'll have a dedicated post that explains the rules. It'll give you a picture of what is up for grabs. And like I said, it will be posted all over social media. So we hope you guys have a lot of fun playing along with us. We hope you guys enjoyed these last seven episodes as much as we are. Uh, with that, let's get into tonight. Before we get to the heavy stuff, let's talk about some of the more lighthearted things that happened tonight. What did you think of David wanting Patrick to get a little less white for their their wedding photos? You know what? I can really appreciate this because my best friend happens to have much, much, much darker skin than mine. When we take photographs together, oh my goodness. Always, you know, we're girls. We've been on a filter now and then. And when you do that, either I am completely whited out and like you can't even see me. I'm like a ghost or something happens to her skin and it looks all wonky. It's it's such a pain. So I really, really, really appreciated the idea that when you have somebody much different skin tone than you, you are in bad shape. How about you? Have you ever experienced anything like this? I, not unlike David, have Mediterranean near Hebraic olive skin tone especially in the summertime, I do tan very well. But not everyone in my family has done that uh, traditionally. Many of my friends, especially of my Irish brothers and sisters, tend to be very pale. And it does make for a funny photo when someone is tanned and then the person that they're taking a the photo with is not. So it does come up quite frequently, the ebony and ivory uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I actually also agree with David, but Patrick is so sensitive to these kinds of things there's really no great way to have this conversation. Honey, you're too pale. <laughs> well, and I think that different people have different levels of what they feel like is their baseline getting ready. So let me give you an example. For myself, I have a special event. I'm going to get my hair dyed. I'm going to get it cut. I'm going to get my fingernails done. I'm going to get my eyelashes done. I'm going to get waxing done. Now, there are plenty of women who, you know, brush their hair and go. And certainly within the man world, there are people who do all kind of manscaping. They're doing all kinds of, you know, same thing, trimming up eyebrows, trimming up beards, doing all kinds of things. And there are other men who roll on out. There was multiple levels here of just, is he making a big deal out of this wedding? Or is it just, no, that's just the baseline, you know, what you do when you have a special event. What did you think? I don't know if Patrick was more upset that what he was being asked or if it was more, as it turned out, this was just very much out of his experience you know, which leads to the problem. I don't think it was so much the idea that he had to have it done. I think it was he was uncomfortable with it because he didn't he didn't know what to do. And I and I think he's sensitive to I think Patrick is not terribly sensitive to a lot of things. I don't think a lot of things get to him. 
but I think he is sensitive to life experiences that David maybe has that he doesn't have or doesn't yet have. And obviously Stevie wasn't going to be a terrible amount of help here because she was just there for the shits and giggles for, for sure. That was hilarious. There were some really good moments between her and David when she was like, I just got to say, and he's got to, and he's like, nothing. You've got to say nothing. I was like, oh, getting snappy. Let's talk a little bit about Ray and his multiple businesses. Ray has not gotten much play in the last season, really. We haven't talked about the fact that he's the real estate agent. He's the travel agent. He's your photographer, and now a new. He's been doing closet organizing. Would you go to Ray as your photographer, or what? I love the outer space background. <laughs> the I loved Volcano One. I loved Volcano Two. I loved In the Jungle. I mean, it was it really brought me back to my grade school class photos, where you would get like laser bars between, you know, behind you. Or it was like a nature backdrop, or it was just the American flag if you had patriotic parents. So it was it was actually really a kind of a kick to to see Ray and all of his dorky backdrops and his mouse pads. He's really pimping the mouse pads oh hard as a wedding favor. Mouse um, pads. I love Rizwan Manji who plays Ray, and the guy is the hardest working actor on television. As of January, he had three shows airing at the same time within the same week. He had Schitt's Creek. He had Perfect Harmony, which he was, uh, which he's like a lead on. And he has The Magicians, which he has also, which he co-stars and he's been on that show basically since the start. Rizwan is the man. He's great on social media, really interactive with fans, super nice guy, at least in social media. I love when he shows up in everything he's in, but I love Ray Butani. I've loved him since we first met Schitt's Creek. From his time on the council and, you know, when he was advising Moira that he wouldn't be very much of a uh, good reference for her since he was leaving the council. I love when Ray shows up and I love that he's got a photo business, you know. Would you go to him? Would you trust him? Are you getting the laser bars in the volcano? Well, one, I think you have to go to him unless you end up doing selfies like they do at the end of the episode. I think you have to go to Ray. That's the beauty of Ray. That's the genius of Ray's business model. He's the only game. <laughs> you know, he's the only game in town. You want to sell is. something? You want to buy some real estate? Raise your guy. You know, it's not that, mm -hmm. you know, like Stevie says, when she recommends them to, to list the town, you know, so many years ago, it's not so much that Ray is the best real estate agent. He's the only real estate agent. That's so funny. So let me, let me ask you this. Do you do a lot of, I guess what I want to say, that manscaping slash like preparatory work for like a special occasion of some sort? Would a spray tan be like too far for you to go? A spray tan is too far for me to go. One, I don't think I particularly need them. I don't think I ever really come off as being pale. So that's not really a concern for me. I'm not big into spray tanning or tanning beds, anything like that. But I do a fair bit. I, I have a beard. I, you know, I, I, for the last three years or so, I've worn a beard. Uh, while I don't spend a lot of time on my hair, like on the top of my head, you know, I'm one of those guys who keeps it kind of high and tight so I can roll out of bed and not have to worry about my hair. I do spend a decent amount of time with my beard because a beard with weird hair growth, if you let a hair go outside of the hair pattern of what you want your, your jawline to look like and your beard line, you have to take that or else you start looking like a homeless person. You start looking like Harrison Ford at the end of Call of the Wild. You know, <laughs> you, 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 need, you need to keep your beard in check. And so you do have to do some manscaping for sure. I don't think I would be able to be with David for several reasons, I'm sure, but one of them would definitely be the manscaping and primping requirements. I don't think I could keep up with David and no. probably what he requires in that department. You know, I think this was this episode was just a small bit 
of what it must be like to be with David and to roll with David to function. We did get a tiny little glimpse into Patrick getting a little bit frustrated about the complexity of the wedding and how much the wedding plans were getting to be a little bit much for Patrick. Does this mean that we have a blow up on the horizon? I I think we have to. And I want to give ourselves a little pat on the back before we go any further. And I meant to say this at the top of the episode. Very much last week, we were talking about what happens here at the end of the season because everyone was in a good place. And we said there's going to have to be some more episodes devoted to the wedding planning. There's going to have to be some more time spent to the new motel. And there's going to have to be some time spent with Alexis and Ted in their relationship. These were three predictions that we said had to happen. This week gave us touched on all three of those things. I want to give both of us a little pat on the back for being very Yay. prophetic. Yes, we understand <laughs> how TV works, people. Um, <laughs> I think I think we have to expect that there's going to be some more friction. There's got to be antics, right? Yeah, David is a bridezilla. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can expect him to be any differently. With Stevie, he has someone who's willing to giggle and be there, but she's not going to step in and bitch slap him around the way, say, Alexis would in the same role. It's going to fall on David and his mania is going to run wild. And so it's going to be up to Patrick really to try and keep him in check or he won't be kept in check. And I think that has to lead to some some real antics. I, I hope they keep it light, though. I hope that they keep I it hope light so antics. so, too. I don't want a big argument. I don't right. want... We've already gone through a, a, like, silence phase with them. I don't want any of that. I'm not ready for any of that. I, I'm really hoping that whatever it is, we can all just laugh about it. Like a bad spray tan. Nothing where we're really worried about this couple. I wanted to ask you, because I, I am, again, I am not accustomed to spray tanning. And I don't know that you are necessarily, but... I'm going to go that you have probably more experience with it than I do. Would showering nine times really remove a lot of the spray tan so that you got from cheese puff to acceptable human? If you were rubbing it, I mean, a spray tan is only on the top layer of your skin. That's why you're not supposed to shower right away anyway. You're supposed to wait like a day or something. It's like 12 hours or something so that it is it kind of like settles in. So if he did go and start taking showers, yeah, you can, I mean, it's sort of like if you imagine getting like kind of the equivalent of like permanent marker or something on your skin like if you took a rag and you scrubbed at it I mean you could definitely severely lighten it just because you'd be exfoliating off skin cells so it's still there and it's gonna take a little bit to slough all off but certainly I mean I have sweat before and gotten (laughs) gotten some marks in my bed and that's very common a lot of people talk about getting like uh, brown marks like you know in your on your pillow from your face or maybe from like your your butt can make a mark in your bed and stuff Uh, stuff like like that so yeah for sure spray tans they can come off and, and unfortunately here's the worst part they rarely come off in an even fashion so what ends up happening is you might have like patchiness or something it's a little yeah, bit complex yeah. i didn't see really any pa- uh, any patchiness oh i'm sure Patrick. he was scrubbing the hell out of himself all sure. over <laughs> so, so i mean i think maybe he may have screwed up in the application of it but he seemed to rally around uh getting it down to a reasonable level did you find it so unreasonable that they tried to go back to ray for the picture at that point I, I didn't thought, I did no, not when he said either. yeah when Patrick goes well maybe we should just head back over to Ray's I feel like Ray would have absolutely opened back up for them I was a little surprised that both David and Stevie were like no nah, we shouldn't do that I was like why guys that seems like a perfectly reasonable thing however I think what we were supposed to gain from that is that Stevie was able to take a candid photo at well not exactly candid but a not so formal, not in a studio photo with just her phone that came out much more 
authentic to who they are overall better. So I think that that's supposed to be a lesson for all of us, including David and Patrick, that just just capture who they are right now and don't worry about making such a big to-do and it will turn out really, really nice. I hope we see more of those moments where people basically pitch in. I'm glad you brought up the candids at the end there because in my notes I have not very candid candids. I get what you're saying and I think that was supposed to be the takeaway, but I don't know how successful those photos are going to come. Stevie uh, acted like they were really good. Like she was looking on her side. She was like, mm, and she is a hard sell, you know? So if she was like, well, this is actually pretty good. I laughed so hard though at those poses because, you know, if you guys remember, um, we've been watching old episodes of Schitt's Creek and there's like an episode where there's a couple getting their engagement pictures when Patrick is handling the application for the general store. And so they're in the background and they're doing all these really silly poses with this badminton racket and like the man's got his hand like on the woman's crotch and everything it's hilarious i thought it was such a funny callback to that david doing poses with patrick he like wraps his hand all the way around patrick's face and like makes these really ridiculous poses i thought that they were hilarious did you get stuck doing any of those for either engagement or wedding photos there were definitely some awkward poses that you have to do the you know place your hand here positions that you have never ever naturally touched another human being <laughs> <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I did like David at one point almost slips into giving like a sleeper hold to Patrick. Which yes, I, I that was that like wrapping his hand all the way around his whole head. Oh my God, that was so funny. What do you think of for a wedding favor? Is mouse pad anywhere near the ballpark of acceptable? And if not, what, what would what would you give as a party favor that Ray Butani may be able to carry in his shop? Oh my goodness. I mean, I know a lot of people did do things like mouse pads more as like grandparent gifts and I'm gonna say like a solid 15 years ago that was like a whole thing I can remember that very clearly giving mouse pads to grandparents like with the kids pictures on it but a wedding gift seems at it no I just don't think that that sounds right I don't know these days ooh, what would be appropriate that he would have mm, maybe things like like a memory stick with photos from the whole wedding on it or something like that that might be something that he might be able to provide i don't know i'm trying to think of something within the photo realm but really it seems like people mostly give i don't i've been to a couple of weddings recently where they do like donations like on behalf of certain charity groups they will give a donation rather than do a favor and they'll say like there'll be a little card that says like instead of a favor we donated to xyz stuff like that has been more popular recently like they could do a little donation to like a Shit's creek asbestos fest 2021 <laughs> maybe doing like a renovate the town hall donation or uh, renovate, you know, the barn or something like that. Mutt's barn. But uh, I, I like the idea of the memory stick favor. That does seem like something Ray would be able to handle. Would be a, a good a good memory. I could also see him making custom CDs. They gave him like, you know, like a modern mixtape, which I know is, an, uh, is a thing that people do do at weddings. Adam Scott famously gave out CDs at his wedding when he got married to his wife. Uh, the actor he made like a mixtape but like made cds and they pressed cds and that was their wedding favor or one of the wedding favors they gave out i think ray could do that it, you know i think you'd have to pick the songs or else you may not like what you get if you leave it to ray 
But I think David and Patrick for sure could come up with a, uh, a CD, a wedding CD as a favor and affordable to produce. Absolutely. Let's move on to our new motel. I don't know what to call it. I want to call it the, like the Rosebud Motel 2, but I'm not exactly sure. This ribbon cutting was hilarious. Jocelyn with the blindfold on, Moira with the cuticle clippers. Oh my God. What stuck out to you as the most just Shit's Creek moment? I felt the cuticle scissors coming from a mile away, but it's still made me laugh out loud when I saw them. And and then how she defended it, you know, uh, well, what did you think I would produce from my purse, you know, Johnny? Of course she was going to defend it. Of course it's what made sense to her. But of course she also was going to come out with cuticle scissors. For me, that that was the highlight joke. I saw it coming and I still loved it. But I just liked how they... Johnny, nothing ever goes Johnny's way easily. It's just a simple ribbon. Just hold it on two sides and, and just be able to cut it. It should have taken three seconds the way he describes things, the instructions he gives, and the people he's always giving instructions to never works out. No one wants to play ball, you know, and I think part of it is also how he delivers it. But it always makes me laugh. It always makes me laugh. And uh, I don't know what to call the motel either. I agree with you. Just like Rosebud 2. I don't know. I don't know what what, the, what to do with it. I have to say when they started cleaning the rooms, I was very impressed with this, what they're calling the presidential suite. If any of the other rooms look remotely like this room, this is quite a step up from the original Rosebud. This is really nice. I'm excited for this venture for them. Like, I think this is fascinating. Did you expect that the four of them would be in charge of cleaning this place up and getting it ready to go? Yes, I expected them to be cleaning. You know, they don't have the money to to be doing the staff. But you, you brought up a good point about how nice the presidential suite was that's not any kind of motel room and i've stayed in my fair share of motels over the years that wasn't unlike any motel room i have ever seen ever in my life that was a really nice room i understand why both couples wanted to stay in there and god moira wants to move there you know she she's ready to leave rosebud one and uh move out to rosebud two on a permanent basis which actually prompted me i mean there was a lot of good moira stuff in here when she gets huffy and she starts whacking the dust bus the duster around the room and stuff really funny when she skips over step one and step two and she wants to know what step three is she could pitch in really funny for me did it ring true to you that she would know johnny so well and be able to work him so well that when she says the weekender bag is already in the car, it, that, that struck me as something that a couple who's been together long for a long time would definitely be able to game the other partner. I was curious though what your takeaway was uh, about that. Absolutely. I think that any wife who's been around the block more than once would know exactly how to handle that situation. She was hysterical when she was acting like she couldn't handle the faucet, but my favorite was when she couldn't walk through the the narrow doorways. That was so funny. I yeah, for sure. I don't even think I don't even think of it as gaming. I think it's more just like, you know, if you want something bad enough and you and you have a good relationship, your partner you know is going to come around and listen to your side of it and probably give in so it's not like out of control to just be like you know so I went ahead and packed your bag I mean what was the worst case scenario honestly in that that Johnny would have held his ground and have to go get his duffel bag out of the car I mean really that's like the worst so why shouldn't she just like take the reins and just be like we're all set to go let's go ahead and be bop out of here she knew he'd come around what did you think about Johnny's spiel though with Jocelyn and Roland that, you know, we can't be using our assets like our own personal playground here. I mean, I think he's absolutely right. But I also think there wasn't a chance in hell that it wasn't going to, you know, that this is not New York City, you know, Fortune 500 company, you know, big business 
accounting and rules of ethics here. You know, this is this is Schitt's Creek and this is a motel that's a really nice room. And sometimes, you know, God, Jocelyn, Jocelyn's ready to join a cult to get a little break from her baby. God, let her use the motel room for fuck's sake. Jesus. And when they actually reveal that the reason why they want to get out of the house and get into the motel was because they're actually renting out a room in their home in order to cover the mortgage. Oh my goodness. I mean, how could you not have a heart and be like, you guys are totally free to use any of the rooms whenever you want. The only thing that made me twitch there a little bit was whether or not they were telling the truth. I think I quickly came around to the fact that they were, but I think if only Roland had said it, I don't know that I would have believed him that they were doing that as the reason. That the reason they want to stay there was to get away from the stranger they have renting a room. But the fact that Jocelyn went along with it, and I find her pretty sincere, then I felt really bad for them. I thought, yeah, I thought this is really touching. It goes back to the neighborly thing that we talked about at the beginning of this episode. This is not only have the shits, you know, taken out a mortgage, a second mortgage on their house and are bending over backwards to make this dream for the four of them come true, they are really going to bat. I mean, they have a stranger living in their house, using their kitchen. Yeah, I agree with you. God, let them, let them. Even Moira didn't put up a fight at that point. You know, she grabbed her bag. So she's like, fine, just use the room. What did you think of finding out about her gritty feminist drama, Miranda Rights? And would you buy that on Blu-ray? I think that sounded hilarious. My favorite line, though, was really about Jocelyn saying, like, that she had seen it like three times and she's like I love that she was so sassy and she was undercover in that wet t-shirt contest it really gave you an amazing glimpse into again Moira's ever-growing sordid past of things she's been a part of I need to see all of Moira's past work. I didn't know that there was a gritty police drama out there, feminist police drama out there. What a great name, Miranda writes. That sounds like a gritty police drama. I think that's dead on. I, I did like that Jocelyn had rented it three times. She liked the movie so much. Right past there, when Johnny tells the shits that they can't use the motel for their own personal needs and the shits leave, Moira turns to him and says, you know, we really did a job on them convincing them to leave so that we can use it. And and Johnny holds his ground initially. What did you think of Moira's quote about the dizzying heights of Johnny's moral ground? That was my favorite, I think, Moiraism of the episode. I completely loved it because it was, um, see, that was that was like the long con there that she was pulling because she wanted to stay there. And she knew Johnny wasn't pulling over anything on Roland and Jocelyn. He legitimately wasn't going to stay there. But by acting like, oh, I liked how you, how you played them. That was so smart, Johnny. She had like a little chance there that he'd be like, like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. I totally did play them. Ha ha ha. But when he doesn't go for it, then that line, and the, I love the beginning part where she goes, I hope you don't get vertigo from the dizzying heights of your moral high ground. Hilarious. And punctuating it with the feather duster, smacking it around. Too funny. But the big question from this plot line, who does the better JFK impression? Was Johnny's or Roland's the better JFK? <laughs> well, I'm going to go with Johnny, given that he at least knew JFK was from Boston and Roland was trying to convince everyone he was from New York. Which, you know, shouldn't surprise anyone that that, that is Roland's position. I also thought Johnny did the better. If, if I heard both of those without any context, I would have been able to peg Johnny's as a JFK impression. I don't know that I would have had the same pick it out of the blue context for, uh, for Roland. So I definitely agree with you. I'm going with Johnny on that one. These two plot lines for me were the end of the fun part of the night. The big emotional arc of tonight's episode was Alexis and Ted. Ted, who was home from the Galapagos. He came home to surprise Alexis for a long weekend that turned out to not be so long. But, Caroline, before we get into Alexis and Ted, would you like to give out the word of the week or the phrase of the week as it turns out? No, you say it. 
The phrase of the week for this week's episode of Schitt's Creek is a gentle spray. A gentle spray. That is the phrase of the week for episode eight, the presidential suite. Write that down. Keep track of it. At the end of the season, after these, these final seven episodes, make sure you include that for episode eight, the presidential suite. Phrase of the week is a gentle spray. Okay, let's get into a not-so-gentle situation, which was this Ted-Alexis breakup. We had a breakup, Mike, and we knew that something serious had to happen because we discussed so much last episode how they both legitimately had real career options that were going to take them in different paths and that anything that they did to try to make it work in the same place at the same time was really going to make the other one have to give up their own dreams. It didn't seem fair to either of them. Did you think that we were going to a get this breakup so soon was this going to last longer into the season or b did you think it was going to be a more i guess i want to say ugly or nasty breakup if it was to come to a breakup i didn't think it was going to be nasty but that being said i didn't think they were going to break them up i really in my heart of hearts and probably against what should be because i think how they've resolved it is the right choice for them. Both of them have the opportunity to live their dream at this point. They've both been offered or have fallen into a career choice that really is best suited for their life. But for each of them to pursue that would require enormous sacrifice on the part of the other. And I don't think it's really fair at this point for either of them to have to make that sacrifice. So I think the resolution is the one that makes the most sense in a real world. I love these two. I love them together. I love what Ted does for Alexis. I love what Alexis does for Ted. And I am very sad to see them break up. So I, I, my heart of hearts, I had convinced myself that the show was not going to break them up, that Ted was going to come home from the Galapagos Islands and that they were going to continue on together back in Schitt's Creek or wherever maybe her her journey took. I, I didn't I didn't really think she was gonna go to the Galapagos Islands and run her business from there. But I thought they were going to stay together. Whatever the resolution was going to be, I really thought that they would stay together. I love how they handled it. I loved everything about this, as heartbreaking as it was. I think it was beautifully done. Um, but I was surprised. I was surprised. How about you? Was, was this on the horizon for you? Is this how you saw, saw this playing out? I think it showed extreme maturity in both of them and a lot of growth. I couldn't agree with you more that Ted was instrumental in why Alexis is where she is in terms of he's the one that encouraged her to go to college, which led her to have to finish her high school degree first, go to college, and he has stood by her every step of the way. Now, some people would say, you know, how what is Alexis? done for Ted. But if you really think about it, through their interactions, he really has become more curious of life outside of Schitt's Creek. Just even from going on their engagement or or going on their honeymoon by himself, he came back full of confidence and just like a more worldly person with somebody who had had some experiences. And I know that it seems like backwards that it's like, well, Alexis broke up with him before the honeymoon. So does that really count? But I think just knowing each other and being in each other's lives has made both of them grow and change. And I really want to give a huge amount of props to like makeup and hair and wardrobe on this because I thought that Ted and Alexis as characters looked the best that they've ever looked. Ted looked the most handsome I've ever seen him and she looked the most beautiful that I've ever seen her. And so when you see them both like that so put together, 
it did feel like, well, I guess if they were ever able to go it on their own and ever, you know, living their best lives, they really physically look like it. And that helped sort of sell the story for me. Did you think that they did a good job with with allowing this breakup to happen with grace? You know, one thing you and I have spoken about a lot uh, on the podcast and off the podcast too is how short these episodes are and how uh, how efficient the show has to be to move along significant storylines, like what is going to happen with Ted and Alexis. And I feel like they let this issue breathe so well tonight that, yeah, I, I think it was handled with grace. I feel, I don't feel like any part of it was rushed from the, from when he shows up at the door and he's talking about the bad milk he had at the airport, you know, because of the cookies and milk all the way through her her flashback that she has when they first met when she's in the she's in the cafe and she's talking to Twyla I, I, which I want to ask you about had we seen a flashback before like that in the show I couldn't think of an instance where that has ever come up before but it was really impactful for the decision making she was doing and so I really liked it I liked how they how they used that and incorporated that into the show but I couldn't remember a time ever of seeing that in Schitt's Creek before. Obviously, it's a it's a well-used TV thing, but I don't remember ever seeing it here before. They've used it before having to do with Johnny when they were going back to Christmas and he was having like a flashback. I know it was more of like a memory flashback, but they were allowing him to, to show those moments back in their previous lives. So it wasn't exactly, exactly the same, but we had a little bit of flashback to, to again, kind of remind us of like where they were and where they came from. I think that that's super important when you get six seasons in to remind people of where whatever character that is, where they started, where they came from. And so, yeah, it was extremely effective. And I thought it was really sweet when you really looked at it, that in doing that flashback, they allowed you to remember that Ted and Alexis met in the cafe. When she glances over at the booth, of course, my first thought was, oh yeah, remember that really romantic date that Ted had set up with the laptop. But also it was like, I felt like she glanced at it and thought it started here and it needs to end here. And like, it needs to end in that booth where, you know, we had that, that special, night together. I really thought they did a wonderful job of weaving the story. And um, and again, going back to the way they looked, when you had that flashback, Ted, could Ted look more dorky? And she's just like in a running outfit. Like they really made them look so much younger and so much less sophisticated. And then, you know, in this episode, she's wearing that beautiful blush colored evening gown. You know, it's all silky. Her hair looks beautiful. Her makeup looks beautiful. He looks so handsome. I mean, you just really had this like peace that felt like they're, they've grown and they've done so much. And these two of anybody felt like the type of people who could say, if I'm not married in 10 years, we should look each other back up. You hit a lot of points that I, I definitely agree with. And I also, I wrote notes about and, and really resonated with me. I hear you on the Johnny memory. This resonated with me more for the exact reason, because it was actual show footage that we were being shown in a flashback sense. It, it really did hit home, one, that the cafe was where it all started, two, how young they looked. I, dorky didn't really stand out to me, just as I can't even remember staring at them now, you know, how Buffy is with the, with the great beard, how older and more mature and put together and the way she just holds herself, Alexis, is now versus the smoothie drinking, you know, runner from, from so many years ago, five years ago, you know, that, that scene. That's crazy to think about. And and they actually I mean the actors and actresses have gone old. You know, they have matured and the characters certainly have. The book and 
end of earlier in the season with Ted shutting down the cafe and Twyla being there as their one person, you know, servant for in the place. Then to tonight where, again, it was Twyla with her very dairy heavy menu, set menu. It was a great bookend and it felt right to me. When she looks over at the booth, that's when it hit me what was going to happen. That That was when it really hit me that this that this was going to be a breakup this wasn't going to be a compromise just the look that you know Annie Murphy gives that empty booth was so significant what did I'm so of- surprised I have to ask you real quick um I'm so surprised that you said that because when I saw her look over at the booth I thought her she was thinking of how romantic he had been to send the limo and shut down the restaurant and how much he loved her and how much he did for her I I got a completely different vibe. I got this like she sees that it started there. She sees and and she then the thing she remembers is him saying, "You're the most beautiful this town has ever seen." And then she's remembering this romantic date. I didn't right. go to breakup. I really thought, "Oh, she's remembering how wonderful he is." Here is what informed my vibe, and and I, I see where you're going with it. It was that she she looked over her shoulder and she had the flashback to when they met, and then she talks to Twyla and. Twyla tells her, and it was my, what I think my favorite line in the whole episode was, you always make the right decision, dot, 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 eventually. Twyla is an interesting, you know, Greek chorus in the show, at least for Alexis anyway. This is not the first time that they've had these kinds of interactions. Even like the silly thing about the turtles earlier in the season. Twyla is this, this kind of Jiminy Cricket on Alexis's shoulder providing various advice for her. It was that the dot 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 eventually you make the right decision. And then when she looks over at the booth and she doesn't have a flashback to the anniversary, but her eyes linger on it with a not happy face, but more contemplative, more serious. I think this was the series we've ever seen her look. I mean, obviously it's a serious storyline, but it was the most serious we've ever seen her when she looks at it and we don't get that flashback. I think that would have made me feel better if she was remembering that because I think it would have evoked happiness thinking of that memory. For me, it came off as she's thinking about that memory, but in a, we can't have that. That's not possible. You can't have a permanent long distance relationship, not at the beginning of your careers. It's not like it's not like they're in their 50s and they've lived a life already and now they're living this like 2.0 life where they can, you know, make it work and settle down together uh, and live like that. These two are both at the beginning of their lives. And I, I think all of that is on her face when she's looking at the booth. That was how the vibe worked for me. We had talked about in another episode about whether or not there was any potential for Shit's Creek to show like a flash forward and show us like where these characters end up. If they were to do something like that, would you want to see that Alexis and Ted ended up having successful careers, but then ultimately finding each other again? In my heart of hearts, these two aren't done. You you said before, if anyone was ever a, if we're not with anyone in 10 years, you know, we should, we should get married kind of thing. I agree with you. These are those two. I, again, I love them together. I think they're so good together. I think they complement the other so well. I would like to think that they are not done together. They're just done to, they're just done with each other for now. But, you know, next week, you know, spoilers if you haven't looked ahead, next week's episode is called Rebound. That makes me feel trouble because <laughs> I'm a little worried about what Rebound is going to go to. 
just with that episode of title alone makes my stomach drop a little bit, but I, I think I'm going with the more optimistic view. I don't think these two are done. I think if we do ever get that kind of flash forward, we're going to see them as, uh, back together again. I think they're just too good together. I think they just work too well together. They, if they did not end up together, I give the writers and, and Dan, if he was a part of this particular story, a lot of credit for showing a relationship in which two people can genuinely love each other and genuinely support each other each other and it cannot work out in terms of them or how do I want to say this maybe not work out but maybe maybe they didn't see what the outcome was always meant to be maybe they were in each other's lives to get each other to the next phase to to go from that spindly little boy and that selfish girl to an educated woman with a career and a and a buff far more confident willing to step out of his comfort zone man maybe that was the role they were supposed to play in each other's lives and they fulfilled that and the way when she stood up at the table before they had gotten any food or anything I really was sad or scared that she was going to leave but when she walked on the other side and sat in the booth with him and he put his arm around her and they were calm and content there was some part of my heart that was like well if this had to happen thank god the writers were able to show it in a way that was so careful of each other's feelings and so thoughtful about what their journeys had been that as viewers we didn't have to be outraged we could be sad and we could be sort of like kicking at the dirt like well I guess if this had to happen this was the best way this could happen. They did it in such a um, a special way that still honored the relationship and everything they had been through together. So, do you feel like that they that they did do a good job overall with how they handled their relationship from beginning to end, or do you like really have to see more? If this was the final time we ever saw them together, I I would be perfectly happy. Well, not happy. I would be very content. I think they ended it. Well, I think they ended it with grace. You you mentioned maturity before, and that really struck me just in how they handled the entire episode together. But in their final words together that we saw, you know, where I think it's Alexis that says to him, you know, you can't say we didn't try. That really resonated for me because that is a self-awareness and a maturity level that no few young people not just that this is not this is not an alexis used to be a spoiled kid a few young people in their very first second third serious relationships have the the awareness to say it didn't work out but it wasn't all bad it was maybe even mostly good it's just you know sometimes life isn't fair rarely is life fair but that you can take away that we tried, we did the best we possibly could, we were as good to each other as we possibly could be, and to, to for them to toast to us as their final words to each other very much made my heart, f- you know, full and and feel very contented with. I I would be able to live with this without the riot. I think I think if you look through TV, I know you're going through it on the TV show right now with a character who's just not acting like themselves, and you know for dramatic purposes. So often we see characters lash out and act in a way just to, to end something or to start something or to just cause drama. And it, and it, it, is, it is infuriating for fans, you know, and, and writers will defend it because they have to have dramatic tension. Here we get to see these two characters who we love 
We love them together. We love them independently. And we got to see them act with each other, with respect, with mutual respect, with love, and making the best decision for each other and for themselves. That's that's a gift we don't get a lot on TV. So I'm taking it as a win for sure. I completely agree with you. I love all those words that you use, the respect, the love, the gift. I think that this has been part of the charm and the, the really special aspect of this show is that they have found so many different ways, whether it be how do you come out gay to your family? How do you broach a subject with your with your friend about, you know, what type of wines you like? You know, how do you show support for your kids who may have been spoiled in the past and stuff? They've taken these moments and they've made them so carefully crafted that it's like you could emulate these moves and feel legitimately like I am doing very well at life. If the majority of people ended relationships like this, people wouldn't walk around feeling like they had been victimized or that they had been like, quote unquote, like through a breakup or they have to sit and wallow or whatever. If people would be more careful and actually honor the relationship that they had been through, I honestly think you are okay to walk away from relationships and be able to say, well, I learned something. I grew. I'm, I'm a different person now. And I'm so thankful for what the times that I had with that person and not feel the anger and the rage and the sort of revenge things that people seem to go through, but just sad, but also grateful and respectful to everything. I think that those were perfect words that you used. I'm glad you said all of that uh, and the way Shits Creek, how the characters treat each other and, and how Alexis and Ted treat each other tonight, treated each other tonight. I, I was watching something and editing something recently and I remarked that the, the what I was watching was something that I'd like my son to watch and emulate and, and treat as a role model for how you should approach the world and your place in it. I feel the same way about Shit's Creek. We, we were talking to someone at, well, you'll hear this if you listen to the uh, very special episode of, Sh- of Shit's Creek uh, without a paddle, with out a paddle podcast up in Sharon Springs. You'll hear someone say, if everyone watched, got into a room and watched Shit's Creek, there would be so much less conflict in the world. There wouldn't be wars and fighting. Shit's Creek is a road map is a guide for how to how we should all treat each other. This episode is just another in a long line of proof that Schitt's Creek is the best version of ourselves and how we should all treat each other, how we should approach each other with respect and understanding. And not everything works out, but that doesn't mean that people are pieces of shit and you have to be angry with them. Goodbye doesn't have to equate with anger. And I think that was the lesson to take away from tonight. I think all three storylines had moments of people stepping in and helping in a moment of stress in terms of we had Stevie step in and take that, you know, quote unquote, candid photo and just sort of like, let it go. Like everyone let it go. No, we're not going to go back to the photographer. We're just going to sit down and take something that is in our own home that looks more like us check, right? Then we have the situation with Moira and Johnny where they realize, they they think that they have been sacrificing all of these years. And that's what Moira keeps saying. She keeps kind of using this, this concept of sacrificing and staying in the motel. And once they go over to the presidential suite and they have Jocelyn and Roland show up and they realize they have been using a free room this whole time themselves over at the other motel. And that here, here are Roland and Jocelyn who have who have used all of their savings and everything they have to try to grow their business. They relented. They backed off. They did the right thing. They said, I, I honor your sacrifice 
sacrifice and you're letting someone in your home, you can have the room. And they stepped down and did the right thing. And so then to see, you know, in this in this closing scenes, Ted and Alexis be able to take care of each other in a way, even to the last moments, even in their final moments of their relationship, they're still taking care of each other. I mean, it's just amazing. I think that it it was a beautiful story. Always sad to see things come to an end, but I think they did a really beautiful job with it. So I hope you guys have enjoyed our coverage of Schitt's Creek episode eight this week, and please participate in our contest. We're looking so much forward to passing these out to everybody. Thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully next week will be a little bit more haha and a little bit less boo-hoo. We'll see you next week at the creek. Thanks. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.